Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50% to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. Hello, you're listening to The Future of Media Explained with me, Press Gazette Editor-in-Chief, Dominic Ponsford, and this week we're talking about doing battle with the duopoly. And joining me on the Future of Media Explained sofa is Press Gazette Associate Editor Will Turvel. Hi, Will. Hello, Dom. So you've been on the front line of the battle between publishers and the duopoly. Yes, observing it with my press jacket on, yes. So when we talk about the duopoly, we're talking about Facebook and Google, or Meta and Alphabet, depending on your fancy. And if you wanted to, you could also throw in Amazon, couldn't you? Which would make it a... Um, triopoly, triopoly, of course. Or even more. Yeah, you can go even further, can't you? The quintopoly. So just before we came in, I've done some calculations, literally on the back of an envelope. Sounds dangerous. <laughs> and um, I'll tell you what I found out. So just to set the scene a bit in terms of the sort of staggering decline of news media versus the tech giants. So back in 2007, which was the eve of the great stock market crash, news brands were making about £5 billion a year in advertising in the UK. So they were the biggest single segment. And in today's money, that would be worth about £8 billion so if publishers are still doing as well today as they were 16 years ago, they'd be making about £8 billion a year out of advertising. Fast forward to last year, and every national newspaper, regional newspaper, magazine, print and online combined was making about £2 billion. So a quarter of what they were doing 16 years ago. Mm. And I bet Google and Facebook have gone in completely the opposite direction, and then some. Correct. Now, this is very much back-of-an-envelope stuff, Will. Okay. Disclosure <laughs> taken note of. So, uh, globally, the triopoly of Meta, Google, and Amazon, but mainly uh, Facebook and Google, make $400 billion a year in advertising. Yeah. So, that's about $4 out of every $10 that's spent on advertising anywhere in the world. Online advertising or all advertising? All advertising. Hmm. You're nodding. I think I think you're giving this your assent, aren't you? Yes, absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> so uh, in the UK, if the UK advertising market was worth thirty-five billion pounds last year, I reckon that Google and Facebook and a bit of Amazon took about fourteen billion pounds out of the UK economy last year. 
you reckon that sounds about right? Sounds like you should write that up into a story, Dom. <laughs> sounds very good. I love that, the back of that. It is literally on the back of an envelope. <laughs> but I think that's about right, isn't it? Yeah, it sounds about right. I mean, that, those are definitely the scales um, that, that we're talking. And yes, in the interview to come, we've got similar figures from Canada, which sound very similar. But that's staggering, isn't it? And if you think that, um, okay, there are a lot of newspapers sold in 2007 that aren't sold now, but in terms of audience... There's so much more going on, isn't there, audience-wise, in terms of people's websites and yeah. and uh, general digital International presence. audiences as well, yeah. Yeah, exactly. And um, we journalists are making a fraction of what we did then. And all the cash is going to these US tech giants. Well, that is hell of a back of an envelope. I'm impressed with that. I like it. We should get it framed. And I'm going to say one more thing, and then I'm going to go over to you. But imagine if all our supermarkets were Walmart or all our food was suddenly made by the Kellogg's company, mm. or, or all our medicine was made by some US drug company. Maybe it is. But we'd have something to say about it, wouldn't we? But we've sort of quietly just sat by, haven't we? Like a frog being boiled in, a, in water. Yeah. Well, I wouldn't say you've been too quiet about it, Dom, but... We've been hopping about, haven't we? So, look, we're talking to... Who have you spoken to, Will? Paul Deegan, the President and Chief Executive of News Media Canada. So look, you fill us in on where we are now, because there's a bit of a fight back going on globally, isn't there, which you've been covering in detail. Canada is the latest kind of jurisdiction to um, stick its head above the parapet. What's going on? What's the state of play? Yes, yeah, so the background is that in 2021, Australia became the first country to pass the law that effectively forced Google and Facebook to pay for news. Lots of other countries have been talking about it for a while, including the UK and the US. Canada is basically second in line, so it's due to pass its online news act uh, in the coming months it's been on the cards in a fair amount of detail for around two years i think we first reported on it around two years ago actually when i was living in canada so i wrote about that quite a bit so it's very similar to the australian law it's seeking to improve on it in some areas it wants to be more transparent but google and facebook's reaction to it has been very similar to their reaction in australia which has meant lots of lobbying in ottawa and lots of threats, basically. So Google's been experimenting with turning off its new search capabilities in different parts of Canada. I think it's affecting up to 4% of Canadian users. So a large number of people uh, they're just experimenting with, which is a bit weird. And I think it was a bit of a, a PR fail for them. Meta has said, if this passes, I believe it must have said, if this passes in this form, but it may have just said, if this law passes, then we are going to just block news in Canada, as we did in Australia. And you may remember the big hoo-ha over Facebook blocking news in Australia back in 2021. Didn't go very well. The Wall Street Journal, around a year later, published a big investigation showing that Facebook had deliberately or possibly deliberately blocked lots of content that wasn't just news and was relating to charities and emergency services. Facebook in this case is saying we're going to do that again except we're going to do it in a much better way and we don't care about news basically is the message from them. So there's been a lot of pushback and this legislation politicians in Canada have seemed to suggest we're not going to be intimidated by you Facebook or Google news publishers have said the same thing so it looks like this is going to be passing reasonably soon and it's going to be really interesting from our perspective, I think, to be covering this battle and where this ends up. I think it's going to be a really interesting time for us and for media and tech reporters covering this. 
in terms of nuts and bolts for publishers, it's a lot of money, isn't it? I think you worked out, haven't you, in terms of the amount of money that publishers in Australia have got. And if you kind of extrapolated that to what publishers will be getting here, it's it's kind of a lot of money, isn't it? So it's like covering a significant amount of newsroom costs. Isn't it? Yeah, the figure we've always used from Australia, which has come straight from the horse's mouth, i.e. Rod Sims, the former head of the Australia Competition and Consumer Commission, he's always said the deals are worth more than 200 million Australian dollars per year. And if you look at the size of the Australian publishing industry and compare that with the size and the population of Australia and the size of the economy, you compare that with the UK, then yeah, if the same act passes and it has the same result, which there's no guarantee of that necessarily, but if it does, then it's going to be a lot more than that for UK publishers. And I think slightly more for Canada. According to my calculations on Press Gazette in June 2022, I said that Britain's largest news publishers could be in line for big tech payments worth £170 million a year if the UK passes Australia-style legislation. And that was definitely, because you know me, Dom, I'm a cautious man, that was definitely um, on the lower end of things. And I think I worked out that if it included broadcasters, including the BBC, and there would be a big, big question about that, then it would be more than £250 million per year. A parliamentary watchdog in Canada calculated that it would expect Canadian publishers to be making 329 million Canadian dollars a year. So it's a huge amount of money for these news industries. And then also when it adds up, and if this keeps spreading, then it's actually turns into quite a significant amount of money, even for Google and Facebook, even as large as they are. So yeah, big story. I've put written down 250 million pounds on the back of my envelope. It's better than the poke in the eye with a dirty stick, isn't it? But it's not much compared to the 6 billion that I estimate news brands have lost from advertising over the last 16 years. Let's hear how they get on in Canada then and what we can learn in terms of our sort of battle with the duopoly over here in the UK. Let's do it. So I started off by asking Paul just to give a bit of background on himself, where he came from. He's been in his News Media Canada role for two years and I wanted to know a little bit more about his background, where he came from and how he came to be taking on the duopoly on, on behalf of Canadian news publishers. So I'm Paul Deegan. I'm president and chief executive officer of News Media Canada, which is an advocacy group which represents about 560 trusted news titles in Canada. And prior to that, I led public and government affairs at a large Canadian railroad and also at a large Canadian bank. And then before that, I worked in the Clinton White House from 1993 to 1996. I've always been interested in news. And in terms of my own background, leading public affairs, both at the bank and the railway, I had a lot of interaction with reporters over the years. And then I became involved with an organization called the Canadian Journalism Foundation, which really supports excellence in Canadian media. And then also I've been involved in the Michener Awards, uh, which is a public service journalism award. So I've been involved with both of those for many, many years and really enjoyed it. And so when this opportunity presented itself, it seemed like a really interesting opportunity to advocate on behalf of a sector that really needed help in terms of public policy, especially uh, with our federal government. Mm. And when did you start in the role? I joined News Media Canada almost two years ago. A really interesting time because, as we'll come on to discuss in a bit more detail, this seems like quite a crucial time for the news sector in Canada. And I imagine Google and Facebook and the Online News Act have dominated a huge amount of your last two years. Would that be right? Exactly. So uh, a little over a year ago, the Canadian government introduced Bill C-18, our Online News Act, modelled on the Australian News Media Bargaining Code. And 
just backing up from that, when I first joined News Media Canada, we were looking at a number of ways to tackle this issue, basically in terms of the uneven playing field between publishers and platforms. And so we looked at a few things. One was we looked at copyright and we determined that in Canada, it would probably take 10 years or so to deal with that. So that just given the dire situation, that wasn't a workable solution. We also looked at a fund. It really came down to sort of a fund or something similar to the Australian News Media Bargaining Code. But with the idea of a fund, we just thought that was getting government too much into the business of news, into the business of picking winners and losers. So that really wasn't preferable. And then around this time, we could see that the News Media Bargaining Code in Australia was in place and it was working and it was working very effectively. So that really became the preferred option. And during the election campaign in Canada almost uh, two years ago, the Liberal Party, which was the governing party at the time, and they were since re-elected, but they proposed the Australian model. And we had other parties either proposing the Australian model or something similar to it. So we really had agreement across the political spectrum in terms of, first of all, recognizing that there was a problem and then recognition on what likely solutions were. So it was a very interesting time and we're getting close to the finish line, we believe now, on getting this uh, legislation passed, which will really make a huge difference for publishers. And I'll be asking you for a bit more detail about how exactly it differs from Australia's News Media Bargaining Code in a little bit. But before I do that, I just wanted to ask if you could set the scene for us slightly on the Canadian news media. What did it look like at the peak of its powers and the peak of its revenues? When was that and how has it changed and why? So about a decade or so ago, revenue for the sector would have been roughly $5 billion Canadian dollars. Today, we're at a situation where revenue for news publishers is closer to a billion dollars. During that same period, the revenue for Google and Meta in Canada would have been about a billion dollars a decade or so ago. And then today it's at roughly $10 billion. So we've seen a dramatic change in terms of revenue for publishers. And that's driven really by the advertising ecosystem, how it's changed and evolved over the years. And we're now in a situation where two companies are scooping up roughly 80% of ad revenues in Canada. And we understand there's a change in the way the business is done, but we want a level playing field between publishers and platforms. And when it comes to negotiation, we just felt that we weren't in a strong position. We also have issues, and this is something that's a global issue, in terms of antitrust and looking at these companies and their dominance, particularly Google's in ad tech, and where you have basically a situation which is akin to a stock exchange, but you've got a company that is scooping up, and this is according to the U.S. Justice Department based on numbers that they receive from Google, that Google was you know, scooping up roughly 30% commission on advertising and representing both buyers and sellers. And in most markets, one entity doesn't represent both the buyer and seller. So that's a longer term issue that needs to be addressed in Canada. We have to make sure that our competition watchdog has the tools it needs to address those issues. But in terms of the negotiation over remuneration based on the value of the content we provide, as we look at it, the Australian model is really what makes sense from our perspective. And Canada is a vast country. 
which I know because I used to live there. I don't know how many time zones there are in Canada, but it's a lot. I just wondered from from your perspective how difficult it is to coordinate a membership across all of that space. So we have essentially four and a half time zones. Newfoundland is a half hour off from our Atlantic time zone. But it is, as you point out, a massive country. We're a huge land mass and our population is roughly 40 million. So it's a massive land mass without a huge population. And these small community papers, which are scattered across Canada, they're vital to those communities. So we essentially, from a news perspective, those communities would have the local community paper, which is probably a weekly paper, which would have a website typically as well. And then you have the public broadcaster, but that's it. And so news is so important, but in these small communities in a country as as large as Canada, it's absolutely vital that they're able to cover city hall, cover the courts if there's a courthouse in town, cover the police. These are really important issues. And it's up to really the local newspaper typically to cover those issues. That is the primary source of local news. Back to the Online News Act, you've been in your job for about two years, but I imagine that this has been in the pipeline for a bit longer. Can you tell us a potted history of how the Online News Act came into being in its current form, where it stemmed from, and how long it's been um, a possibility or how long this has been coming down the track? Sure. So this would have started seven, eight years ago as publishers looked at their business model. They looked at how they were losing ad revenue to not just Google and Meta, but other companies as well. Classified ads, for example, like that, that whole business has changed. And as we looked around in terms of how to address this, it was complicated. And frankly, it wasn't really until we saw the success of what Rod Sims had put in Australia with the bargaining code that we decided on a, on a solution. And thankfully, the government believed that was the right way to go as well. Essentially, and it's relatively simple legislation, essentially what we're dealing with here is collective negotiation backed up by the teeth of baseball-style final offer arbitration. Currently, under our Competition Act, publishers in Canada can't get together to negotiate collectively. And what we've had over the last sort of two years or so is in advance of legislation and seeing that the government was going to take action, both Google and Meta started doing deals with select publishers. Typically, these were larger publishers. And effectively, what's happened is we've got a situation where Google and Meta are really picking sort of the winners and losers in the Canadian media landscape. And that's a problem. We wanted to get to a situation where, I guess just backing up, we've got sort of this uneven playing field between publishers and platforms. And once they started picking winners and losers, you got this uneven playing field between publishers. And that's not right. That's not fair, particularly to the smaller publishers who typically weren't getting Google and Meta knocking on their door. I'll tell you a little story. I I know when you lived in Canada, Will, you lived in British Columbia, but one of our members is the Gabriola Sounder, which is Gabriel Ola Island, which is an island off of Vancouver Island. And the publisher of that publication, Sarah Holmes, as we were going through this process, she said to me, we have to make sure that the small publishers like her also benefit from that. And that really stuck with me. So as this legislation advanced, in the initial draft of the legislation, there was some criteria related to who was eligible. And in the initial version of the bill, Sarah and her husband, the publication that they put out, 
wasn't eligible. So you had to have two employees, but those employees in the initial version of the bill were at arm's length, so it couldn't be family members. So we got an amendment into the legislation that basically ensures that small publishers like her, and that's a lot of our members, were 560 titles. And of those titles, I would say roughly a third of them are owned by large corporates. There's another third, which would be owned by, let's say, mid-tier companies that have multiple titles. But then there's another third or so, which are truly mom-and-pop style independent publications where a family you know, is putting out a newspaper. They may have been putting out this newspaper for two, three, four generations. And again, to, to what I said earlier, like these are vital publications to those communities. That is the source of news in that community. And so it's essential that they survive. So that was a really important amendment in terms of getting that through. Hi, I'm Anoush, and I host the New Statesman podcast. Twice a week, we get under the skin of Westminster to help understand what's going on and what's going to happen next. We interview politicians, policymakers, and people on the front line to get you the full story behind the headlines. Plus, hear from our award-winning editorial team, including political editor Andrew Marr, to get to the bottom of what on earth is happening. Listen to the New Statesman podcast. You can subscribe now wherever you get your podcasts. So I think anyone who's listening to this podcast probably has a rough idea of what does. Could you explain briefly how Canada's act will differ, what differences there'll be, what similarities there'll be? So the similarities, the two big ones are the ability for publishers to come together and negotiate collectively with the big tech platforms. And then the enforcement mechanism, the fact that there's baseball-style final offer arbitration where both parties come together, they put their best offer forward, and an arbitrator chooses between them. Those are the central tenets of the legislation in Canada and of the Australian Code. And that's really the, the I guess, the big similarities. In terms of differences, there's a number, and I think they're, they're important. And I think we've built on the amazing success of the News Media Bargaining Code in Australia. So first of all, the determination in terms of who's in and who's out on the, the digital news intermediary side, meaning the platforms, that's made in Australia essentially by the minister in terms of designation. In Canada, that's arm's length from government. So that's, from our perspective, a really crucial difference. We've also got a specific exemption from our Competition Act in our legislation. So there's a number of things that are I guess, technical in nature, but very important from our perspective. We've also got heightened transparency. So there'll be an annual report, which is produced by our radio and broadcasting regulator, which is independent or arm's length of political calls. And there will be transparency in terms of the aggregate value of deals. So in Australia, Rod has said the value to publishers is north of $200 million, but there'll be more detail from government. Rather than more anecdotal, there'll be this annual report, which we think is is good. Obviously, publishers see these as commercial deals. We want to make sure 
that that those deals are confidential, the actual specific deals. But in terms of the aggregate value of deals, we think that's actually serves the public interest to have that information public. Mm. And how have Google and Facebook reacted to the Online News Act? I think people will be familiar with the threats that have been made. Facebook just last week said we'll be blocking news in Canada and we do, we'll be doing it in a more successful way than they tried to do in Australia. That's kind of an oversimplification, but it'd be great if you could just give us an idea of how they've reacted in general when they started reacting, what kind of lobbying activity you've seen behind the scenes. So they've actually, I would say, taken a different approach, the two companies. Meta has been very quiet. We have a public registry of lobbyists in Canada and you know, assuming people are reporting the meetings that are taking place, which they're required to by law, they've had very little activity, like surprisingly few meetings with government. Google, on the other hand, has had many meetings, as have we. I think Google has been very active on the lobbying side, and that's certainly their right. And I I think that's actually good in terms of stakeholders who engage. I guess the issue is, in terms of some of the tactics that we've seen, I would say they've been heavy-handed, and I think to many Canadians, these tactics are new. So Google actually, a number of weeks ago, blocked access to news via Google search for something like 4% of users. And I, I think many of our parliamentarians were taken aback by that. They actually held uh, separate hearings, not into the Online News Act, but into these tactics And I would say in terms of Google's own reputation, that probably was not a helpful exercise. And I don't think helpful in terms of getting amendments to the legislation that they might be seeking. Meta has already come out and basically said if the bill passes in its current form, that they would block news. And and I think from our perspective, this legislation is not across the finish line yet. There's still opportunity, and for your users, especially in the UK, so we have a bicameral parliamentary system in Canada, so we've got an elected House of Commons, and then we've got an unelected Senate, and the bill is right now before the Senate, and it's with a committee of the Senate who is hearing from witnesses uh, literally as we speak, and will also be looking at specific amendments to the bill. They'll be going through it clause by clause, and then there'll be a reconciliation in terms of the House version of the bill and the Senate version. And we would hope that this legislation would pass by the end of June. So I think these companies would be well advised to focus on having good productive conversations with parliamentarians. It was interesting when Meta appeared before the House committee into some of these tactics last week, one of the parliamentarians basically said, we've never met with me. And so I think it is important to engage with parliamentarians And I think everyone involved in the process should want to make the legislation better. And that's what we're committed to. I think the parliamentarians are committed to that. I know they're committed to that. And I think for the platforms, for them to basically push for productive amendments. And again, from our perspective, if there's specific suggestions to make the bill better, we're all ears. But back to the central tenants in terms of collective negotiation backed up by the teeth of final offer arbitration. From our perspective, those are non-negotiable. And so how do you expect things to play out over the next month and a half? 
until the end of June. So I think the Senate will continue to have hearings. I'm guessing that these hearings will continue up until end of the first week of June or so. And then they're going to get into sort of the the hard work of essentially taking amendments that parties have proposed, looking at the language, making sure that these amendments are workable and don't have unintended consequences, and then having back and forth between the House and Senate on that. So from our perspective, you, you can never predict anything in terms of outcomes with Parliament. But at this point, it is looking like the legislation will pass before the end of June. And we're excited about that. And then looking forward to the work of sitting down, forming our collective, sitting down with Google and Meta and negotiating fair compensation for publishers. And is it possible to guess how Google and Meta, Google and Facebook will react initially should the legislation be passed or in the weeks leading up to it when it seems inevitable? It's hard to predict what they'll do. And these are businesses, they're going to have to make business decisions on how they're going to deal with it. From our perspective, we've had in the past very good and productive relationships with both of these companies. These companies are amazing in terms of the technology that they've brought. I know there's been a lot of criticism of both, but they've also done a lot of good. And so from our perspective, we're extending our arm to them, our hand to them and saying, listen, we want to sit down with you. We want to have good legislation. So we're working through that process right now. And then once the legislation passes at that point, you know, we want to have fair negotiations. So we believe there's, you know, there's still opportunity for if they have specific concerns and again, without gutting sort of the central tenets of the legislation, there's certainly opportunities for both companies to make their points and get them across. But we believe it's in their self-interest to have news content on their platforms. If you think about search, there's all sorts of lousy information on the internet and on social media. And, And these companies are really the plumbing of both search and social. And with that plumbing, going through those pipes, you've got trusted news, which we would see as the clean drinking water, But you've also got a lot of sewage, all the misinformation and disinformation. And if you take news off those services, you're essentially just left with a bunch of garbage. And so, you know, we think it's important for them to have trusted quality information on their sites. It's better for their business. Their businesses are more valuable with our content. And so we believe that we should be able to get to a point where we can work together and come up with something that's fair for all sides. Hmm. I'm sure if I had Facebook or, or Meta on the podcast, they would say our platform's not about news. It's certainly not about written news and links to professionally written news. If you pass this legislation, as they've said, we're just going to switch off news in Canada. Do you just not buy that then? So I don't know what they'll do, but from our perspective, news is valuable content, right? These companies are essentially in the advertising business, right? And so People who are consuming high-quality news are great consumers, and they want those consumers on their platforms and services. And from our perspective, it's in their self-interest to continue to have news on, on, on their services. So they'll have to make their own decision. But at the end of the day, their businesses are more valuable to their shareholders with quality content on their sites. To suggest that you can just substitute news with cat videos or whatever. It's a different consumer 
who's looking at uh, the Globe and Mail or national newspaper versus someone who's just looking at random content. And how concerned are your members by the threats that have come from, from Meta in particular? How, how concerned are they? So we are concerned, obviously. But again, our belief is it is in their self-interest to have our content on their sites. So while we're concerned, we're also of the view that, you know, for their own brand and for the value that their shareholders derive from their companies, that they should continue to surface news. Final question, Paul, taking this more global, there are lots of other countries around the world that have talked about introducing similar legislation. Australia's done it. Canada's looks set to do it soon. The UK is talking about it. There's talk about it in the US and many other countries. Where do you see this heading eventually? And what do you think publishers can learn from the Canadian experience so far? We certainly have learned a lot from the Australians. And we've spent a lot of time talking to people in Australia who have negotiated deals. So in terms of some of the tactics that we've seen, whether it's around use of third parties or threats or divide and conquer among publishers, all of that. So we've seen that coming from Australia. And so I guess the advice that we would give to others is learn from other publishers and publisher organizations around the world. Don't be intimidated. Stick to your guns. Always stick to principle. Always tell the truth in terms of your dealings with parliamentarians and government officials. And when you see statements that are not accurate coming out of some parties in this debate, call them out on it. We do that constantly. And it's important for parliamentarians around the world to really have a sense in terms of what these issues are all about. And the Australian example is a great one. We believe that we build on that and look at both countries and look at where else this can go. We speak very frequently with publishers throughout the Americas, and they're very excited about this. They believe that if Canada can adopt the Online News Act, and if the U.S. can get the JCPA done, then at that point, this will continue throughout the Americas and around the world. So I think it's an exciting time, definitely a challenging time for news publishers, but it's an exciting time as well. And I guess the last thing I I would say is this type of legislation is not a silver bullet. This is not going to solve all of the problems facing news publishers. And ultimately, publishers have to invest in quality content that is going to drive subscriptions and advertising revenue. And That's really, I think, the key for this is the monies that will flow from legislation like ours and in Australia, you've got to reinvest in quality content. That's the name of the game. It's quality journalism that is going to attract readers. It's going to keep them coming back for more. And that's really what publishers around the world have to do. I think governments themselves have to look at other things too. For example, labor tax credits are really quite vital. Things like we have a local journalism initiative in Canada, which basically funds reporters in areas of of news poverty or news deserts. That's important. Digital subscription tax credits. These are all important. In Canada, we've got recycling fees on printed newspapers, which are basically a job-killing tax. So I, I think for regulators and governments around the world, it's really looking at what else can be done. But the, the real takeaway, I think, for publishers everywhere is you cannot rely long-term on monies from these companies. You've really got to be investing in content. And so to use these funds 
to reinvent your business, to invest in, in journalists, hire the best newsroom, and that's ultimately what's going to drive your business. Thanks for that, Will. It's always good to hear a Canadian accent on the show. Yeah, I'm quite proud having lived on the west coast of Canada where the accent's kind of the same as the west coast of America, roughly, I believe. But I'm always proud of myself when I can recognise an accent that's from eastern Canada, which is a little bit different. Yeah. So what do you think, in terms of what's going on in Canada, what do you think the implications are for um, the UK and and, and the US? And what, and what do you think is going to perhaps happen next? I'm going to cop out and say I don't know currently. But I think, as Paul says, he's expecting this legislation to pass by the end of June. So that's a month and a half away. And I think this is when the big lessons we learned from Canada. So is Google's threat serious? Is it going to do big deals with publishers as it did in Australia? Is Meta really going to pull out of news? Is it going to block news in Canada? How long is that going to last for? Is it going to be the couple of days or was it around a week that it blocked news in Australia? Or is it not going to do it at all? Or is it going to stick by and just keep keep blocking news? So that'll be really interesting. Uh, it's a big test for, for Meta to find out whether their their bluster over the last couple of years about its loss of interest in news and how news is not important for Facebook as a platform. It's a big test of that. And depending on how all that goes, it'll be interesting because Australia, that's kind of done for the next couple of years. Canada, we'll see. And then then it's the UK probably next, although I'm sure there are some other jurisdictions that are trying to force through similar legislation sooner. Okay. Well, look, thanks for that, Will. Fingers crossed we'll be getting a, something in our in our stockings from Google and Meta, us news publishers. Yeah, that'd be, be nice, wouldn't it? You've been listening to The Future of Media Explained with me, Press Gazette Editor-in-Chief, Dominic Ponsford, Press Gazette Associate Editor, Will Turnbull, and expertly produced by Misha Frankel Duval. We will obviously be covering the duopoly battle in great detail on the Press Gazette website. So um, check us out on pressgazette.co.uk to read more about this and the other issues we discuss on the podcast. Thanks for listening. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details.